Amen. All right, check this out. Now, believe it or not, believe it or not, Reed, this one is a true story. I'm, I'm serious. It, believe it or not. Okay. And it was one summer, I guess, this lady, she was new to boating. All right, had this boat. And, but she had a problem. No matter how hard she tried, she just could not get her brand new 22-foot bay liner to perform. Okay? It wouldn't get on a plane at all. It was very sluggish it was, and, and almost every single maneuver, no matter how much power she applied, John. And, and, but about after an hour of this, trying to make it go, no success. And she finally puts over to this nearby marina. And she thought, well, maybe they could tell her what was wrong with the boat. And uh, they, they, they did a thorough topside check on the boat. They revealed that everything was in perfect working order. The engine ran fine. The outdrive went up and down. The prop was the correct size and pitch. So one of the marina guys, true story, jumped in the water to check underneath. And he soon, <laughs> believe it or not, came up choking on water because he was laughing so hard. Because underneath the boat, still strapped securely in place, was the trailer. <laughs> just, just get out of the boat and walk away. You know, get, get, get in the dock, get in your car, go find a hobby. You know, do something else, okay? But wow, can you believe that? I'm, I'm serious, that actually, at least the best that I know, that really happened. Can you believe that? Okay? And folks, I'm telling you, as goofy as that is, did you know I've seen Christians do the same goofball thing all the time? And I'm serious, folks, it's not when they're cruising around their boat, it's when they're cruising around in their walk with Jesus. And, and they're there, they're going, why is this so sluggish? Why am I not getting anywhere in my walk with Jesus? And it's all because they got this negative attitude, this trailer dragging them down, right? Underneath the whole time. And that negative attitude is actually thinking that it's something horrible to spend time with God. Can you believe that? You might as well strap a trailer to your backside because that's what it's going to do. It's going to drag you down. As we've been seeing, that's the obvious question. How in the world did it ever get this way as a Christian? How in the world did it become a detriment, something horrible, to spend time with God? I mean, you put it in the context, I mean, I would assume when we first got saved, it wasn't that way, right? I mean, when we first got saved, we couldn't wait to spend time with God. We longed for God. We were screaming our guts out like that. Woohoo! Praise God, I'm saved. I belong to God. But then, all of a sudden, it changed, okay? It became something as a detriment to spend time with God. And so the question is, how in the world did it get like that? Well, folks, as we've been seeing in our study, what I've learned over the years, it's simply this. When we lose sight of what we really have in Jesus Christ, okay? When he died on the cross for the joy set before him, and that was a beautiful, loving, intimate, personal relationship with the creator of the universe. That's why we're here. That's what we're here to celebrate. That's what we really have in him, okay? As we saw, once we lose sight of that, Christian, it doesn't take two weeks. It doesn't take two months. As soon as you lose sight of that wonderful biblical truth, just like that, overnight, your once vibrant, awesome, beautiful, loving, intimate relation with Jesus turned into that dry, stale, boring, man-made religion called churchianity. Right? And folks, we've been seeing, unfortunately, I think that thing is a horrible epidemic in the American church today. They're infected with it, okay? So to stave off this deadly, horrible disease called churchianity, we here at Sunrise are going to continue in our new study called Renewing Your Faith. Turn to somebody and say, it's time to renew your faith. Okay? And what we're doing is the theme is we're revisiting all the basics of Christianity, except this time we're looking at it through a renewed set of eyes. Okay? And that renewed set of eyes is a loving relationship with the creator of the universe because that's what it is. All right, so we're taking a look at the basic thing. And the first one was the basics of a renewed prayer life and remind ourselves of that. The second thing was a renewed worship, as we saw there. The third thing was a renewed service. The fourth thing was a renewed Bible study. And last time if you were here, we saw the first part, the fifth one, a renewed fellowship. And there we only got as far as to why. Why in the world do we Christians fellowship? 
Well, as we saw, it wasn't just about us. Yes, it's for our encouragement. We'll get into that a little bit more today. But we saw, hello, it's a powerful witness to the lost. When the lost see you and I loving each other, encouraging each other, literally putting our lives on the line for each other, no better than a dog. Remember that? Then it's a powerful witness to the lost. I mean, who in the world wouldn't want to be a part of that family, right? Especially in our world today where families are breaking apart. Okay, but that's not all. The second question we need to ask ourselves, if we're going to get rid of this churchianity stuff when it comes to fellowship, is, all right then, what is fellowship? We know why. Okay, it's a great commercial to the lost if you do it correctly with the right attitude. Okay, but what exactly is it? Well, folks, once again, you know the theme. I don't think it's that hard to understand if you're not suffering from churchianity. Okay, if you look at it through the eyes of a relationship, just even a normal relationship, it's not that hard to figure out. It makes total perfect sense, okay? You see, the word fellowship comes from the Greek word koinonia. It's actually where we get the word communion from. But fellowship comes from that same word, koinonia, and it literally means this, a joint participation. Now stop and think about that right there, joint participation. That means more than one. Right? We'll get to that in a second. You know, how many times you heard people say, well, I don't need to go to church services to say that i'm a christian i can worship god in nature wrong <laughs> we'll get in that in a little bit okay joint participation or listen intimate community notice not intimate uh, uh apartment complex all by yourself staring at the tv it's intimate community that's what the word fellowship means in other words let me break it down for you fellowship is we're getting together as god's family that's it it's a family it's God's family, okay? That's all it is. When we get together for fellowship, that's the Christianese word, we're having a family meeting as Christians, okay? That's all we're doing. We're hanging out intimately with the family of God or to put it in even simpler terms because this is to be our attitude. What is fellowship? Listen, fellowship, listen, is simply celebrating our relationship with God with other people who are also celebrating their relationship with God. That's all it is. We make it so complex, that's all it is. Hey, you want to get together for fellowship? Oh, no. Excuse me? Fellowship is just simply celebrating our relationship with God with other people who are celebrating their relationship with God. Why wouldn't you want to do that? And folks, I'm telling you, believe it or not, the key word there is celebration. Celebration, okay? Every time we get together, it's not just a family meeting. All right, let's call this thing to order. It's a family party. Celebration is the key word there. See, you don't believe me, but believe it or not, the early church, those guys knew how to party. Turn to somebody and say, it's party time. Okay? They were party animals, man. See, you don't believe me, so let's go to the Word. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. These guys knew how to party. Okay? Acts chapter 2, and let's start with verse 38 there. Acts, of course, the great book for lumberjacks up north. No, wrong kind of Acts, but I'm stalling for time. You'll get there. Uh, Acts chapter 2, and uh, let's take a look there. Verse 38 through 47, okay? And this is the man, man, can you imagine this happening? We're going to see a whole bunch of people get saved. And what is the response of these people? There's a whole bunch of people gathering together. You know, a family meeting, a family celebration, right? What do they do? Let's take a look at that. Okay, Acts chapter 2, okay? And uh, verse 38, let's take a look at uh, what's going on there. It says this now, uh, uh, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Praise God, there's a way out of this mess. For the forgiveness of your sins, amen? And here's the neat promise. You're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Now, with many other words, Peter, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. 
And those who accepted his message were baptized. And about how many? 3,000 were added to their number that day. Can you imagine getting the altar call and 3,000 people got saved? That really happened, folks, in the early church. Okay, now continue on. And so they went home and they started watching the NBA playoffs. Oh, I'm sorry, Paul, wrong translation. Are you kidding me? That's awesome. That's something to celebrate. 3,000 people just got saved? Listen to what they did. They devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles and all the believers were together and had everything in common and they, they were selling their possessions and goods and they gave to anyone as he had need and every day, not just on Sundays, every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Listen, and the Lord added to their number, how often? Daily. Those were being saved. Not only 3,000 got saved in one day, but every single day people were getting saved. Isn't that awesome? Would you think you'd be kind of celebrating that a little bit? Okay, and that's what was going on here. What we have here, folks, really, in essence, is an awesome party. This is a godly rager, if you will. Okay, what did it say there? It said when 3,000 people of the early church got saved, they didn't go back home. They didn't go do their own thing. They didn't go work on their yard. They didn't watch TV. They didn't hang out with themselves and feed squirrels. What these guys do? They got busy partying, right? Now, of course, it's a different kind of party. And it's okay to party as a Christian. You just got to do it God's way. God's party leaves no hangovers. Hello. Okay? Spiritually as well. Okay? That's the kind of party we need. And so it says here, here's what they got busy partying with. Now, remember our study and what we've seen so far. They got busy immediately. They, got, they, were, they were devoted party animals. They immediately, it says there, got busy partying with the apostles' teaching. You know, Bible study. Party time. They, they immediately got busy partying, serving each other, taking care of their needs, even selling their possessions just to continue to buy the party snacks. You know, the grub when we hang out together. They were continuing to do that. They were serious about it. And, and you talk about jamming music. They, they pumped it up. They got busy praising God, singing songs, praying to Him. And how long did it last? Listen, these guys were in a rage, okay? It wasn't a party that lasted just once a week. They partied every single day. They were totally devoted to it. The early church was a bunch of party animals. And I'm telling you, if revival's going to come, we've got to get that back in the church today. But you got to party God's way. There is nothing more exciting. This gets me. Somebody says, hey, Pastor Billy. Uh, so and so. In fact, I just got a phone call uh, from Katie back in New York and she led two people to Christ. And we're going, yeah, woo, yeah, yeah, woo. You know, people come here when they come forward and receive Christ here at sunrise. Ooh, we should blow the lid off this place. But sometimes you tell people, hey, I've been waiting all day to get a hold of you. So and so got saved. Really? Did, have you heard what the weather's going to be like this week? <laughs> what? That's, that's exciting. And this is the point, folks. That should be our attitude every single time we, we get this opportunity to fellowship with Christians. We, we got the chili cook-off. We got Bill, the man of faith. You saw him live today with that shirt on. Okay? He announced we're going to have another opportunity to party as Christians at the bowling alley. Woo! Yeah! We got the chili cook-off. Come up here in a little bit. 
good. Yeah, this is going to be awesome, right? This should be our attitude. When you see opportunities in a bulletin or you hear word of mouth, hey, here's an opportunity to get together and throw a party. We should say what? It's party time. Count me in. I'm there. That is the whole point, folks. It's party time. Turn to somebody and say it again. It's party time. Okay? And here's what's happening, folks. This is what I think we miss in the context there. Notice when the early church threw a godly party and got busy being godly party animals, what happened? Oh, dude, it was awesome. That's when God's people get together and parties God's way. Amazing things take place. It said there, that's when miracles began to happen. Signs and wonders were everywhere. Lives were changed for all eternity. People got saved by the truckloads every single day. Now that's a party I want to go to, right? Now here's the point, folks. Here's the problem. We like to party all right. We love to party. We just party with the wrong crowd. You know what I'm saying? We don't go to God's party. We go to the world's party. And we wonder why it's just things are so sluggish, like that trailer on that boat. Why isn't this working? Why is my walk with Jesus so messed up? What is driving me down? I can't see it. I can't see it. Who are you partying with? You see, this is what the prodigal son, he had it good, man. He had it all taken care of at the father's house. But he chose to party with the world. And folks, that's not good. But fortunately, he came to his senses. Let's take a look at that text there. Uh, and it's right here, Luke 15, chapter 14, or verses 14 through 18. It says this, after he had spent everything, right? There was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went out and he hired himself to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed what? Pigs, which is an abomination to Jewish people. And so he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. Can you believe that pig slop? But no one gave him anything. Now, when he came to his senses, notice that, when he what? Came to his senses, he said, man, what am I doing here? How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I'm going to set out, and I'm going to go back to my father. Why? Because I am sick and tired of partying with the pigs. When you party with pigs, you eat pig slop. I'm going to go back to my father's house. He's got a good party going on. It's always good. And here's the point, folks. Surely we're not like the prodigal son. I mean, when there's an opportunity to party together with other Christians, i.e. fellowship, okay, we jump at the bat, right? We know, come on, man, why would you choose that? Over partying over with a bunch of pigs and getting this spiritual hangover and eating all this pig slop and, and when you can hang out with the people of God and great things take place. I mean, surely that's our attitude, right? Well, you know, I got to share this exciting sound effect. Thanks for playing. Your consolation prize is you get to eat a bowl of chili later. Okay, unfortunately, folks, that's not what is happening across the American church anyway. You look at the churches today when it comes to fellowship. It's not something that people, Christians, professing Christians, they look forward to do. Oh, yeah, what? Did you say, count me in? What? You said chili cooker? Oh, man, how many pots do you want? What? You just want to get together at your house? I'm there. Woo! It's not something by and large that professing Christians look forward to do and listen. It's something that they make excuses to not have to do. And it's crazy. And I'm telling you folks, that's a side effect of churchianity. You got the disease, whether you want to admit it or not. Okay, and the first side effect is you think, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll tell you what. I'll hang out with you. I'll hang out with you. But you have to be just like me. Right? If I'm going to hang out with you, Christian, 
You got to be a clone. You got to you got to think like me. You got to act like me. You got to uh, uh, speak like because I, I that's the only kind of people I like to hang out with. What? Folks, that is absolutely ludicrous to the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is it's supposed to be made up with all different kinds of people. Amen? I don't know about you, but, you know, of course, you could say, you know, wouldn't church be great if everybody was just like Pastor Billy? Yeah, and the zero applause on that tells you, yeah, that wouldn't be good. And if you doubt that, ask my wife. She's glad there's only one of me on the planet. Although little Billy, my son, he's coming up. Did you see him chewing gum earlier? But he wasn't even singing. He's just like his pop, man. I was proud. Right? But that's what we do. We sit there and think, oh, yeah, I'll hang out with the church, but you got to be exactly like me. It's like, it's what? We just read in our text, 3,000 people got saved in one day, not just one. Which means you're going to have at least 3,000 differences. Hello? By nature of the church, you can't be the same. The word church itself means a group of called out ones, not called out one. It's a group of people. We gather for church services, not clone services. Right? Everybody doesn't have to look like you, act like you, speak like you before I yell at you. What? It's crazy. But sometimes that's the attitude. And here's the problem. More, it's self-centeredness. It's the height of pride. The more you push this self-centeredness, this clonish attitude, I call it, Think that everybody's got to be like you, act like you, think like you before I hang out with you. Folks, I'm telling you, next thing you know, you get really cynical about the church. You ever meet those folks? And that, that's just really negative experience. Like this guy. Take a look. But my church, the pastor always makes, me, makes us hold hands across the congregation. I can't stand that. I'm ADD because I can't think about the prayer. I'm just thinking about the person I'm holding hands with the whole time. And this dude's hands are huge. <laughs> I think he's got an extra finger. What is that? Man, is that a mole or a milk dud? What is going on over here? Dude. I don't know if I'm sweating or he is. You ever pray holding hands? You say amen, do that little squeeze. Squeeze. Amen. Squeeze. What that means? Let go. Squeeze. Fun stuff, though. I do a lot of comedy in churches, though. I, I go to some really cool churches and some really messed up ones. No offense. No offense. No offense. You hear somebody say about a place, I love it there. No one judges me. And I can be who I want to be. You're at a bar. <laughs> That's where you are. <laughs> Keeping it real, folks. Keeping it real. <laughs> oh, now, folks, I, I I will admit, you know, sometimes when you hold another Christian's hand in fellowship or prayer, or whatever, you might find a little extra surprise tucked in there. <laughs> and yeah, sometimes it sure would be nice when you hang out. Uh, at a place uh, other than a bar that people don't judge you for who you are. But here's the point. That's exactly how the church is supposed to be. Okay? And you don't have to go to a bar for that. Okay? You don't have to party like that. You can party God's way. The church is supposed to be that way. A bunch of different people from all walks of life who all act differently, who speak differently, who look differently, all different shapes and sizes, but they treat each other as one big happy family, milk duds and all. Okay? That's the beauty of the church. 
And this is what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Listen to what he said, uh, verse 12, 15 through 18 and 25 through 26. He says, the body, i.e. the church, us, is a unit. Now, though it is made up of many parts, how many guys can verify that your body has more than just arms? Thank you for raising your arm. But anyway, that's right, right? It's made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with the church. So it is with Christ, is what he's saying. If the foot should say, well, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. Is it, hello? It wouldn't, for that reason, cease to be a part of the body. Not everybody's going to be a foot, right? It's crazy. He said, if the ear should say, because I, I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. Even if he said that, it would not, for that reason, cease to be a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, then where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, just like you, everybody's got to be an ear, then where would the sense of smell be? But if, in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be, so that there should be what? No division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. In fact, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. That's how tight that you and I are to be in the church. That's how concerned we are to be about each other in the church, even though we're all totally different. Right? That's what he's saying there, okay? The church is to be one big family party that's made up, listen, of totally different people who totally recognize that every single one of them is totally valuable and they totally care for each other. Why? Because we have to. We're a body and a body has to work together. If all of a sudden you said, hey, I got to go to the store and your leg says, no, I'm not moving. What would happen? Right? If you say, you know what? I really enjoy this breathing thing. This breathing thing comes in, it's so awesome. I don't even have to think about it and I'm doing it. But if all of a sudden your lungs say, no, I quit. How long would you last? We all need each other. You need your body parts functioning in order to function correctly. And that's what Paul is saying, okay? And this is the problem, folks. This is precisely what you don't get in the world. And this is the beauty of the church. This is how it's supposed to be. When you and I gather for true godly fellowship, it is a profound witness to the lost. You don't get this interaction anywhere. The world fights with each other. The world is guilty of racism. The world makes fun of people. Big sizes, small sizes, little sizes, different colors. Your attitude this, your background here. You grow up here. the, The world fights and never stops with that stuff. But not in the church. The church is one in Christ. We are a multitude of different people from different walks of life with totally different backgrounds. We're involved in a whole bunch of different kinds of sins before we got saved, but we've all been leveled clean by the cross of Jesus Christ. We're one in Him and we love each other. All of our differences, milk does it all. And when a non-Christian comes into that community, it's like, can I be a part of that family? Can I party with you guys? If we just get back to that. Turn to somebody and say, praise God for that milk dud in your hand. I sure hope it is, man. Let's pray. <laughs> Folks, if you're sick and tired as a Christian, you know, if you've got that, that invisible trailer dragging you down, then maybe you've got a bad attitude about fellowship. If you're sick and tired of parting with the pigs and dealing with spiritual hangovers, then get back to God's party. Start partying with His people in the house of God and come to life again. Amen? Okay? That's what fellowship is. The third basic question we've got to ask ourselves if we're going to get rid of this uh, goofball Christianity stuff is, all right, then how do we fellowship? All right? How do you actually pull this off? Well, folks, again, I really don't think it's that hard to understand if you aren't suffering from churchianity. Okay? If you look at it through the eyes of a relationship, 
It's common sense. In fact, it makes total perfect sense. It's not that hard to figure out. And again, I think this is what Paul is telling us here now in Romans chapter 12, verse 4 through 8. He says, now, just as each of us have one body with many members, right? He just said that to the Corinthian church. Now he's reminding the Roman church. But he says this, and these members do not all have the same function, right? So in Christ, we who are many form one body and each member belongs to each other. You don't just hang out with each other. You belong to each other and you're supposed to help each other out. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. Here's some, here's some uh, possibilities. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, hey, let him do it generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully with a great attitude. Because <laughs> I got to. No. That's not a benefit to the church. And this is what we see, folks. I don't know about you, but I'll never forget. Nine months after I got saved was my first opportunity to serve in the church. Okay? I felt like I was born again again. (laughs) It was cool just being saved. Are you kidding me? I get to do something for Jesus? I mean, it was wild. And that's what Paul's saying. You talk about purpose and value in life. Don't you remember what it was like before you became a Christian? Don't you remember how useless and vain and vanity of vanities, nothing, this life is going nowhere, it means nothing, is this all there is? Don't you remember that? But as a Christian, Paul says, that's gone. If you're a born-again Christian, the moment you get saved, you don't just become a part of the body of Christ. God gives you spiritual gifts to start helping the body of Christ. Do you get it? That's awesome. He says there, whatever your gift is, you get at least one. Every born-again Christian. Be it teaching, serving, encouraging, giving, whatever it is, do it and do it cheerfully. Why? Because each one of us, he says, plays a wonderful, powerful, incredible role in the overall help of the church. Listen, we don't just party together. We help each other. We need each other. So turn to somebody and say that again. I need you, man. That's what Paul's saying. I need you. Which means when we fellowship, listen... Yes, it's fun going to the bullying stuff. That's cheap entertainment, believe you me. <laughs> Especially if you watch me. <laughs> it's cool going to the, the, the chili cook-off, man. It's cool just hanging out with each other, having home Bible studies and all that. That's fun. But it's not just that. You need to take the time to get busy becoming a benefit, not a burden, a benefit, a help to the body of Christ. We need each other. That's what we've been gifted with, okay? That's how we fellowship to answer the question, which means you don't just punch in your time clock to get on with life. All right, I went there to say I did it, and I'm out of here. Oh, yeah, I signed up for this, but yeah, you boring. I'm out of here. What? You guys, have you seen Pastor Billy Bowl? I can't take it. I'm out of here. You have to do things my way, the way I like it. What? That's not what it is, folks. That's not. You don't punch in your time clock just to get on with life. We recognize that every single one of us is the body of Christ, milk duds and all, are needed for the overall health of the church. We need each other. It's a, listen, listen. The first aspect was a party, a godly party. We're partying with God's family. This aspect, to give you another visual, is it's God's team now. We're a family who parties God's way. Woo, family party, yeah. But we're also God's team who has a mission and we're all needed to get in the game if we're going to win. And that game is to help each other out, but it's also to reach the loss. Okay? So, 
to bring this point home, hopefully, I want to look at it through the eyes of a normal relationship. And the first way we do not fellowship together as God's team, okay, since it's valuable and important, we need it, is this attitude of isolation. This attitude of isolation. And to help illustrate the foolishness of doing this in our relationship with God and his people, uh, we're going to look at it through the eyes of another relationship. That with the help of John Gibsonowski and the Detroit layoffs. Come on down. Woo! Yeah. Yeah. Feel it for these guys. All right. As you can tell, they're extremely excited. But uh, as we get these guys mic uh, John, you're going to have your microphone. You guys get to share the microphone. Hopefully, as Christians, we can pull that off. To share the microphone. All right. And what we're going to do to explain it here, what we're going to do, John is going to be confronted. He's the quarterback of the Detroit layoffs. And yes, I'll be running out the door after this service is over. For, but anyway, but uh, anyway, so he's the quarterback there. And he's going to be confronted by his fellow teammates here about his attitude of the, uh, the quarterback with his attitude of isolation. And you tell me how well this attitude of isolation as a quarterback of the team goes over with the rest of his teammates. Let's take a look there. Hey guys, look, it's John Gibskanowski, the awesome quarterback of the Detroit layoffs. We found him just in, time, just in a nick of time. Hey John, where have you been, man? The game's about to get started and we're headed to the stadium. Why aren't you there yet anyway? Do you need a ride? Come on, let's go. Oh yeah, the game. Well, you see guys, I've decided I don't need to go to the stadium just to play football games anymore. Say what? What are you talking about? You're the quarterback. We need you. Well, you see, I decided that I can be a quarterback right here in nature. <laughs> I don't have to go to the stadium to prove I'm a quarterback. No way. I'll just throw the ball around a little bit to the squirrels, <laughs> to the chipmunks. And together, we'll appreciate God's beauty. Isn't that awesome? Awesome? Are you nuts? You can't be a quarterback in nature. What good is that? How can you be a part of the team if you're all alone in nature? John, we need you. Knock it off, stop goofing off, and get in the cane. Okay, guys. He's lost his mind. There's only one way to fix this. We need... Beef. Get it. Oh, no. Wow. Do I clap on that uh, derivative off the script? Because that wasn't in there. Oh, no. Oh, no! That's fine. I can work on that. Now, obviously, as we all know, John is the quarterback, and I'll get out of the way for the camera to zoom in on that. He is sinning. In, in, obviously, what he's doing is wrong. It's not good. Yeah. And he's... Oh, man. Yeah, I knew better than that. Anyway, that's right. But, uh, okay, so hopefully, what's the point here? <laughs> the point is, John is the quarterback of a football team, okay? He doesn't think he needs to go to the stadium to be a quarterback. He can just hang out in nature with the squirrels, right? And he's like, what? You're a quarterback, right? Quarterbacks are designed to play where? In the stadium. That's where you function. That's where you do what you do. And so here's the point, folks, spiritually. Uh, what do we think we're doing when we do that to God in His church? I said it earlier, but how many times have you heard people say, well, I don't have to go to church services to prove that I'm a Christian. 
I, I can worship God in nature. Well, first of all, what I've learned personally, typically those who say that, you don't even go out in nature, period. That's just an excuse to sit there and do nothing. Okay, but secondly, typically, folks, the problem is you're missing the point. Christians are designed to function together in the church. It's a group of called out ones, not singular. We need each other here now. You can't do that by yourself. All right, the second way we do not fellowship, dare I continue with this analogy, is you don't have this attitude of rationalization. Okay, so what if John now were to be confronted by his teammates with this attitude of rationalization? And uh, let's see how this goes uh, with his teammates. Let's take a look. Hey, guys, look. It's John Gibsonowski, the awesome quarterback of the Detroit layoffs. We found him just in the nick of time. Hey, John, where have you been, man? The game's about to get started, and we're headed to the stadium. Why aren't you there anyway? Do you need a ride? Come on. Oh, yeah, the game. Well, you see, I decided I'm not going to go to the stadium to play football games anymore. Say what? What are you talking about? You're the quarterback. We need you. Well, you see, I used to go to the stadium, but I noticed that some of the other players really aren't that good at football. So I realized that they were a bunch of football hypocrites. And I decided to quit. And then at half, time, um, half the time, the stadium was either too hot or too cold. So I didn't feel comfortable. And then to top it off, every time I went there, they kept asking me for money. Well, hello, John. Stadiums cost money, you know? Someone's got to pay the light bill. That's only natural. You enjoy playing in a stadium, don't you? And as far as being too hot or too cold, hello? Bring a blanket if you're cold, or bring a fan. <laughs> if it bugs you that much. And as far as having to play with other players that aren't that good, first of all, have you seen your stats this year? <laughs> you haven't been that good either. We're in the middle of a losing season. And besides, what's the whole point of being on a team? You're supposed to help the other players become better players themselves. What's wrong with you? Eat more beef. Knock it off. Stop goofing off and get in the game. <laughs> Oh, that's exciting. Yes. Oh, they're not done. All I know is Reed right there has the final say on the editing board. <laughs> but anyway, can you imagine that? What's going on with this guy? He says you're the quarterback, and but you're complaining that the stadium is too hot or too cold. Or that the other players aren't perfect, and so you quit. Or, or you might have to contribute once in a while to keep the stadium going. It's like, what? That's crazy. So once again, folks, here's the point. What do we think we're doing when we do that to God and his church? How many times have you heard people say the same thing? Well, I don't go to church services because everybody there is a hypocrite. Or I don't go because it's too hot or it's too cold or every time I go, they keep passing the plate. All they want is your money, right? Well, first of all, with the hypocrite thing, that attitude is hypocritical because you're coming to a church services thinking you don't have any defects. And guess what? You do. In fact, that attitude is a defect. So who's being the hypocrite? Second of all, again, if the temperature is really that big of a deal, bring a blanket. Bring a fan. 
Okay? It can't be perfect for everybody, but you can make adjustments. I mean, if you did go to a football game and you paid big bucks to get there, would you walk out because it was a little windy? They got the wind too high. (laughs) You wouldn't even think twice about it. You'd get something and continue to be... What? And then thirdly, yeah, the church asked to pass the plate. But how do you think all this keeps going, folks? Okay? And if you appreciate that, then we work together as God's team to make it continue to happen. Amen? That's all it is. We're a team. Okay? But that's right. The third and final way we don't fellowship is this attitude of inaction. Okay? So what if John were confronted by his teammates now with this attitude of inaction? Let's take a look. Hey, guys, look. It's John Gibsonowski, the awesome quarterback of the Detroit layoffs. (laughs) We found him just in the nick of time. Hey, John, where have you been, man? The game's about to get started, and we're headed to the stadium. Why aren't you there yet anyway? Do you need a ride? Come on. Oh, yeah, the game. Well, you see, guys, I'm, I'm going to go to the game, all right, but I'm just going to sit here and watch from the sidelines. Say what? You're the quarterback. We need you. No, nope, no can do. You see, I think you guys got this whole stadium thing wrong here. You see, I came to the stadium on my own terms. And so you guys need to fetch me some food, preferably a Popeye's three-piece meal. <laughs> and you guys need to make the plays while I critique them. And if you dare lose a game, I'm not coming back. What in the world have you been eating? <laughs> Put the chicken down. Chicken is evil. Eat more beef. Are you nuts, John? Chicken is evil. John, you're the quarterback. We need you. There is no I in T. Put the chicken down. And what kind of quarterback thinks that all the other players need to do all the work while they just sit around and hand out scorecards? Are you crazy? No wonder our season stinks. John, would you knock it off? Stop goofing off. We need you. Put the chicken down. <laughs> Let's give it up for John Gibsonowski in the Detroit layoffs. But here's the point, folks. How many guys would say that John, his behavior, hey, frankly... If that really were an actual quarterback and that was his attitude, how many guys would say it would absolutely destroy their season, right? I mean, they would not get anywhere in that whole year, okay? You're the quarterback, you're a vital part of the team, but you expect everybody else on the team to wait on you, do all the work for you, win the game for you, and make you feel good, otherwise you're quit, you're out of there. What in the world kind of a quarterback is that, okay? And again, here's the point as we close. Here you are, we do the same thing in the church. You hear people say this all the time. You're a Christian just like everybody else. We just saw that each one of us are a vital part of the team, but you sit around week after week, you do nothing, you expect everybody else to wait on you, do all the work, make you feel good in the game of church services, and if you don't do it the way you like it and it's not done for you, I'm out of here. You got that right, Brock. And folks, I'm telling you, you wonder why we're losing the spiritual battle for America? That kind of baloney is going on in the church. Have we forgotten that we're not just a family, we're a team. 
And every single one of us are needed in the team. We've got to get in the game. And folks, I'm telling you, if we're going to get rid of this churchianity stuff, it's high time that we, the church, get back to true fellowship, godly fellowship. And we start partying God's party once again. And we start helping each other again as the church. Okay? We need each other. Why? Because this is what the early church knew so well. This is what we read in our text. When we do that, it's not just something to do. When we do that, that's when the miracles, that's when all kinds of things begin to take place supernaturally. When the church comes together in true fellowship and believes and prays. Like it did for this guy. True story, folks. We'll close in prayer after this. Let's take a look. Not just for days, but for weeks, months, years, you cannot get rid of it. And the other continual feeling is the constant cold, terrible cold. Sometimes I felt as if my blood circulation was slowing down. I was personally amazed at the power of endurance. Because, by all accounts, I should have become seriously ill and died a long time ago. thrown into a cell with a broken window. The KGB was determined to do an experiment and freeze me. Later they would say he broke the window in the cell and died of cold. I felt despair. I thought to myself, has God really left me? Am I really forgotten and neglected? Have my years of suffering been in vain? And in my despair, I began to pray. I usually pray silently, but this time I started to appeal to God out loud. God, have you left me? My cries were bursting from a heart literally in utter despair. One night I had a dream. In my dream I was told to pray for Alexander. I had no idea who Alexander was. But I told my church and we began to pray for him. And right then I suddenly felt a palpable physical warmth. Not the kind that comes from a heater, but like when a mother draws her freezing child to her breast and warms him with her tearful breath of compassion. 
It was a very living, human warmth. It penetrates you as if piercing you to the heart. And inside your heart, a spring opens up, out of which flows peace. A wonderful, magnificent, soothing peace. I felt a very loving, brotherly touch. Someone's caring hand touching my shoulder. I actually felt it. And this gesture represented the words, You are not alone. You are not abandoned. We are with you. We are sharing your suffering. This warmth was the energy God gave me to feel physically the heat of prayer with my own skin, my own being. As if the prayers converted the energy of love into the energy of warmth. In the morning, it was a shock to my executioners. They couldn't understand. I wasn't simply alive, but my temperature was the same as that of a normal person. I heard the doctor explaining to my executioners in the corridor. This is impossible. We can't explain it. About six months later, we received a letter from Open Doors to pray for Alexander. And we finally found out who this Alexander was. We had been praying for six months without knowing anything about him. Alexander had started a Christian movement that spread across the Soviet Union. For this crime against the state, he was imprisoned to a labor camp in northern Siberia, the death sentence zone. It so happened that many people began praying for me. exactly when they released me. Prayer opened the prison doors and as the gospel affirms, set the captives free. As we close, I don't know if you've ever been there as a Christian, but you read the Bible in one hand, it's certainly the book of Acts. And you see the amazing acts, the amazing miracles. And then you look at what's going on in the church today. You ever wondered why it's so drastically different? You know, maybe you sat there like I have, and I said, where, where, where has the beauty gone? Where, where is that powerful attraction of the church? Why is it absent today why don't we see miracles in the church today on the scale like it was in the early church every single day folks as you just saw it can happen and it still does happen today we just got to get back to being the real church
And when the church comes back together again in godly fellowship and parties God's way as his family and gets all into the game as his team, I believe, even here in Las Vegas, if we were to do that, we'd see so many captives set free, it would blow us away. I believe God could save 3,000 people in one day in our lifetime here in Las Vegas if we just get back to the true meaning of fellowship. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness, or the wrong things that we have done, have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin, or unholiness, uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay? Well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. 
Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that? right now well this has been pastor billy crone of sunrise baptist church and and get a life ministries
And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.